Teachers Supporting Teachers, the podcast sharing insights into being and becoming a teacher. I'm your host, Narelle Lemon, a professor in education at Swinburne University of Technology in Melbourne, Australia. I'm curious and I love to use this strength to find out more. So what better way to support others and to create this podcast to be able to gain insights and perspectives from colleagues and friends. This is Series 7 and I'm joined by five pre-service teachers who are currently undertaking a study tour and global practicum supported by the new Colombo Plan. We are recording as we are experiencing our time in Kaching, in Sarawak, Malaysia, Borneo. I'm so excited about this series, something a little different. So make a cup of tea and find a comfy place to sit or pop those earbuds in and go for a walk as you listen to Rachel, Lisa, Taylor, Steve and Lewis share their insights into and about being and becoming a teacher. Welcome to part two of a three-part festivity between Australian and Malaysia pre-service teachers and in this part which is co-produced with Rachel and Taylor we're reflecting about well-being, self-care, what does that mean as individuals, young adults, teachers and the profession. So enjoy this episode. I wasn't sleeping well. I do 
my works until late night, like two o'clock, and then wake up at five for the school. For the school, because from here to the school is like around forty-five minutes journey. So that's something that I neglected. And uh, today, the workshop really helped me to like reflect back what I miss on that period. So I I would really want to make this a formula for me to use in the uh, incoming practical month next year. Ah. So thank you so much for the insight. A pleasure and beautiful reflections mm -hmm. for you and insights into what happened and what you can change moving forward, which is beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Keep Lovely. So, uh, for me, the key lesson that I've learned in this workshop is it's okay to be different. Mm. It's okay to be different. See how we did in the workshop? In which those 170 people they're able to have different definition, different way to define the word of self-care, right? So it's okay to be different because we as people we are afraid of changes, right? We're afraid of being different from others. But after the workshop and I realized that actually we can live in our own peace. As long as you're happy, you're positive, and you're happy, that is good. You are the same as others, just the way, the strategy that you live is different from others. But it's okay to be different. This is what the key lesson that I've learned mm -hmm. in this workshop. So your future intention is, it's okay to be different while I'm looking up to myself. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Lisa. Yeah, for me, I think what I took from it was to, as uh, new teachers coming into the profession, um, recognising the importance of taking that time for our well-being. I think um, being new uh, in our roles, we all uh, want to you know, do our job to the best of our ability and sometimes may feel guilty taking that time, but I think it's important to recognise that we do because it just helps us be better at what it is that we're doing. Um, it's one of those things where it's how can we care for other people if we can't care for ourselves first. Um, and I think too, it, what really stood out for me is that what works for you now can change and does change um, depending, I guess, at what point you are at in your life. Um, so recognising the strategies that work best for ourselves um, and how we best implement those strategies. Mm. Oh, nice. Nice aha moment. I guess I'll touch back on to one of the questions that Rel asked during the seminar, which I think was based on another question someone else had asked um, that we bumped into at some point, um, was about like what does it mean to be an adult that um, teaches, and then sort of at the very end of the seminar, there was, I think I can't remember the wording, but there was like a, a point about how like actually if we want to look after students, we need to look after ourselves. And so I guess yeah, it's almost a, it becomes a professional responsibility to have our own well-being at heart. And I guess there's all sorts of you know, benefits. You know, not only are we more effective teachers, but I think actually you can like role model that as well. And so that perhaps students can learn positive well-being strategies if you are able to like openly um, yeah, like model and mm. communicate that and like you know, give terminology to things. That, you know, I guess that was another thing that just today by running through lists across categories of stuff that we do look after well-being, you know, you're giving names to feelings and names to things. And um, I mean, we do that, yeah, all the time, like little children where, um, you know, 
they look upset, you tell them they look upset, and then you know that helps them to identify a name that you just sort of, that's a thing you sort of continue and it builds up and up, and it's probably a, a lifelong skill. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful insights there, and I think it shows us that as we talk about it and we talk about it with each other, we begin to develop a language that helps us understand for ourselves, but also we begin to be able to understand with and for each other because we don't, as we, we brainstormed about what does self-care mean, we had 180 different versions of what self-care means. And so every strategy also means something different to us. So being able to talk about it, develop a, a literacy and language around it to understand for ourselves, but to help communicate with others and to understand and ask questions as well is, is really important and lovely point, point there. Thanks, Steve. So I'm also interested to know um, how do you protect your well-being and how do you care for you? Phoebe, would you like to start? All right, I'll start. Okay, for myself, thank you for the question. Okay, <laughs> so basically for myself, I actually have a few specific ways of how I would care for myself. Firstly, I would always, always get myself an iced caramel latte. Then, what I like to do 
to really take care of myself is that I like to self-affirm myself um, every day because not every day is a good day for you and well some days you're gonna feel that you're not doing anything at all and you're not making any progress and I like to remind myself that even though I did like a pinch of a quarter <laughs> I like to say to myself that I did the best that I can that day and being one of the students representative uh, it's quite a pressure and you need to have that sort of uh, mental uh, strength in order to be well because for myself it's quite it's a very busy life and a very busy year ahead in the future as a teacher because you're not just a student you're a teacher you're a brother you're a child and you're also gonna be well a boyfriend a husband soon but who knows and yeah, I think that's my way of taking care of myself. Mm. A beautiful example of self-compassion. <laughs> Where you're showing yourself self-love. Yes. <laughs> you are being aware and mindful of, of what you need and what's happening around you. But you know that it's not just you, everyone else is negotiating things as well. So you have a beautiful um, notion of humility. Um, and. I love that you say affirmations to yourself. <laughs> that is beautiful and almost like a mini meditation, right? Because yes. you say it internally in your mind, sometimes out loud when you're in a room by yourself. Well, I would say that even with everyone around me, I would say it to myself, but people would think I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a good practice. Yeah. Well, not, well, you can do it in public because who cares about what people think about you? Mm. The the most important thing that is what your what your loved one thinks about you, what your friend thinks about you. The strangers they they just say things about you. They don't know you. They don't know what's inside you, what's on your mind, what you are compassion for, and well, you do you. Like what Chen said, it everyone is different from each other. So that's yeah, that's that's one of. That's beautiful and profound, and I have a tear. Oh, that's very nice. Good, good tears, good tears, good tears. And Phoebe, you're so creative with your strategies. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. In Australia, we have unfortunately normalised some patterns that are not healthy as teachers. For example, we highlight not leaving at the end of the school day or staying behind for long hours. We seat up on our unpaid weekend hours and this just adds to the stress of being a teacher and feeds into an unhealthy culture. I'm interested to know if that is the same here in Malaysia um, or do you think it's changing? What can you tell us about it? Thank you, Taylor, for the beautiful question. <laughs> I, I think you can help. <laughs> okay, so the question is what about mental health and how is it discussed in Malaysia, right? So for the past few years, especially after COVID, I, I think uh, the, the issue of mental health has been widely discussed. It's not a taboo, taboo topic, topic anymore because yeah, people, there's a certain generic assumptions of people that mental health is just regarded as crazy or just like you, you are having a mental breakdown. But they don't discuss it, we don't discuss it widely as a medical, medical condition, which is why when when the pandemic got around 
2019, 2020, some, somewhere there. We had a lot of counselors who got up, talked and discussed about mental health widely, especially in Twitter. I was, I was following a lot of psychologists in, in the COVID pandemic, because we were locked down. We were all staying in our houses. That's when the domestic abuse spiked up. The, the, a lot of things, divorces spiked up, a lot of um, children rape spiked up, a lot of incense spiked up as well. I think during that period, mental health has become a more prominent topic to be discussed about. And moving on to how mental health is discussed and context in context of the education field, I think we, we can see a lot more awareness, a lot more exposure to the mental health culture. But I do think it is changing. In Malaysia, it is changing a bit by bit. But I do think that there's one big obstacle that we need to overcome first because we are deeply rooted in the hustle culture. Whereas, like Lisa just said just now, we feel guilty for taking time to actually care for ourselves. But in the end, we care for ourselves just so that we can be better, so we can act for people even better, right? So I think that's that's a lot of there's a lot of unsettled discussions about that. About the hustle culture, is it actually really, really productive to be all the way drained out of the work, or as you have to take rest in between and focus on yourself a little bit more so that you can give better to society and especially to the children you're teaching. I'm curious now about you, Hanisa. How how is it? How do you think mental health is actually discussed here in Malaysia? <laughs> Growing up with a very um, how do I say environment that is not exposed with mental health, it's kind of like difficult for me to talk about it at the first place. But as time uh, times goes by, I started to discover these mental health things by myself, and I started to experience it by myself. And when I experienced it myself. One thing that I noticed about this mental health situation in Malaysia especially, I noticed that we tend to run away. We don't want to discuss about it. Because why? It's a taboo in our society. It's not, it, I, it has this, I've been growing up with this saying like, if you're having mental health, it means that you're weak, you're not as strong as other people. But as time goes by, I learned that everyone, you, everyone, each one of us, we can feel things. We deserve to feel everything that we should feel. Don't invent never invalidate your own feelings. Never never hide behind those feelings, especially when you are around your student. If you're sad with their by the action, say it. If you're mad at them, say it, show it, but not to aggressive. That's a boundaries though, of course. But as I uh, as I mentioned before, mental health not really like practiced and not very normalized in Malaysia. And I hope um, sooner or in the future, um, us, the younger generation, the younger educators, will um, making this a highlight because we want a healthier um, generation. Because healthy mind will build a healthy generation. So. I'm also interested about this for our stream pre-service teachers and the because we've heard really important insights into um, do we talk about mental health, how do we talk about mental health for ourselves and with our, our students, um, is it taboo, what's accepted, how do you start talking about it? 
But I'm interested, particularly firmly Australian pre-service teachers, and Rachel, I'm going to ask you first. I'm wondering about how you set boundaries as you become a teacher and then head into the industry. And what are you putting into practice now that, that you hope to be able to be so confident that it's part of you that you then take into the profession um, that not only helps you but also interrupts the hustle culture, the unhealthy culture, the overwork culture, the wearing uh, exhaustion as a badge of honour and interrupting that so that we change um, those hidden or evaded stories about well-being, mental health, and we start to think about how can we be sustainable as teachers individually and collectively for our sector. Big topic. Yeah. Thoughts. Thank you, Nero. Um, it's a great question and also a pretty heavy question as well. Mm. So for me, I've always been a big believer, and it's probably thanks to my mum, Thank you, Mum. <laughs> um, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> the work and study shouldn't be regarded as everything in life, and I'm also in a privileged position to be able to say that. Um, I set boundaries with myself, and I believe it's crucial in maintaining a healthy lifestyle. So, for instance, when I'm studying, I'll set myself an agenda, break down tasks, and also set my phone on Do Not Disturb. I practiced that in 2022 and I'll be taking it into this year because it really helps me focus. When it comes to work, I have unfortunately learned the hard way um, of what it means to be in a toxic workplace and what it looks like versus a supportive workplace. Fortunately, now I'm in a position where I am in a positive workplace and laughter is often heard, conversation is frequent amongst colleagues and flexible schedules are encouraged. I think we should normalise teachers and staff clocking off at a reasonable hour of the day and we shouldn't be staying back at ridiculous hours of the afternoon and we definitely shouldn't feel guilty for leaving that bit earlier than our colleagues. Some people work better in the early mornings whilst others feel more productive in the afternoon. I'd also like for us to normalise having a life outside of work. So personally, I show up to myself each day by making exercise non-negotiable or also tapping into creative hobbies. So exercise that I take part in um, might be yoga on days when I'm feeling a little more stretched for time, a walk with my dogs for fresh air, or strength training when, I'm, when I have energy to burn. I also believe, like I said before, that hobbies are important, especially as an adult. I enjoy reading and listening to music, and scrapbooking has also been a creative outlet for me where I can completely switch off. I think getting the balance where I can be really challenging for many, and it's something that I'm still working on to this day, but practicing boundaries regularly can be rewarding in so many ways. What about you, Lewis? Well, considering the global teacher shortage, graduate teachers are in a better position than ever to ask for better conditions and find a culture that they agree with in school. Um, and setting those healthy work boundaries are really important as you settle into your first year and people uh, create their expectations of you. Um, but I have not yet worked full-time as a teacher, so I'm not sure what my, like, capability is. I'm not sure of the workload that I can take on, which is something I need to find out before I start telling management I can't work anymore. Um, but after a few months of work and I figure out what I can do sustainably, I can draw my boundaries from there. Um, but I've been lucky enough in the jobs that I've had so far uh, to have very supportive management.
this includes like me being able to take a month off to to be here today, um, which yeah I couldn't have done if my manager wasn't very okay with me doing this like last minute, <laughs> being like I'm leaving in a few days by the way. Um, but yeah, on, on what we were saying before about um, looking after yourself outside the classroom and allowing that to, or you know that allows you to look after other people inside the classroom, and uh, what you're saying about like it's almost a professional responsibility to to look after yourself so that you can be at that level um, to, to look after the students that that you have. part two of three parts of our conversation as Australian Malaysian pre-service teachers and I really enjoyed this episode and I hope you have as well and there's been so so much discussion and and thinking shared with us about our well-being, our self-care, our professional responsibility but also future intentions with an awareness around sometimes we've neglected our well-being in previous placements and what our vision, our intentions are for future. We've recognised the time, investing in time, but also that we're all different and we also need different strategies and those strategies change over time as well. And as we explore what that means, we're also really considering how do we interrupt the hustle culture, the overwork culture, the wearing overwork as a badge of honour in the sector. And I think our discussion across different contexts has really provided some interesting insights into where we go, who we are and what we aim to do as future teachers to shift our sector. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to sharing part three with you shortly. Thank you to Madam Susan for the collaboration that has allowed for this episode and our three parts to come together. Thank you to Magnus Mooney for the music and thank you to all my guests, colleagues who are a part of Series 7. And I invite you as listeners to engage with us as you think through what's provided you comfort, supported and sparked your ideas and allowed you to consider your professional growth as well. And so please feel free to share your thoughts. Take a moment to share this on social media with the hashtag teachers supporting teachers or as a comment on Apple.